The text for this morning's sermon is 1 Samuel 2, if you want to turn there. 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah's prayer in verses 1 through 10 is uh, such a beautiful and uh, a helpful preview and uh, summary of all that comes after it throughout the rest of the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Samuel 2. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is no, there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves up for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail." The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we uh, come to 1 Samuel one last time in this series, Lord, I just thank you uh, for all the spiritual food that we've found in this book. Lord, uh, you've been put on display as our only hope, as our greatest need. Lord, I pray that uh, this morning as we consider all that we've been through, that you would let us leave with a greater hope in you, and that we would lose confidence in ourselves and in our own strength, and that we would seek you for all of our needs, Lord. I just pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well... A long journey is coming to an end. I don't know how it feels for you as those who are able to listen to a series uh, going through a book like 1 Samuel, but for me it's it was sweetness uh, consistently seeing God save His people and consistently seeing man fail. It was just, in one sense, I felt like it's one sermon over and over and over again, 
preached out of different circumstances. And this morning, I want to, in a sense, preach the sermon one more time uh, through Hannah's prayer. Hannah's prophetic prayer at the beginning of 1 Samuel encapsulates everything to come in First and Second Samuel. And then at the end of Second Samuel, David's song is there's kind of bookends on, on this account. And everything that's contained therein you can understand if you understand the prophecy on, on both sides uh, through Hannah and David. Um I want you to consider something this this morning before we get rolling. Have you ever been trying to get a job accomplished, but you didn't have the right tool to do it? I feel like I'm consistently in this situation. I need to do something. I don't have the right tool, and so I'm using another tool to try to get the job done. And I can just see my brother-in-law hanging over my shoulder, shaking his head, going, what are you doing? (laughs) He's got a tool for everything. Um, One of the times that I really experienced this is uh, my wife and I like to decorate, uh, Laura and I like to decorate with barn wood. And to get barn wood, you have to go out to an old barn and pull it off uh, a structure. So I went out my first time ever to collect barnwood, and I had a hammer and a pry bar. Well, there was mosquitoes. The barnwood was obviously old. The nails were rusty, and <laughs> I'm sweating. I'm getting eaten by mosquitoes. And every time I start prying on a old piece of barnwood, guess what happens? breaks it splinters apart and those nails pull so hard and I'm sitting out there saying I have great respect for those people who go collect barnwood and decorate with it because I I don't think I can do this I got like two boards in an hour and the boards are broken well I found out later what you need is a generator and a sawzall and you go on the inside of the barn, you just come right down the studs and cut all those rusty nails off, and then the barn wood just falls right off. And you got the rusty nails on the outside, so it looks old. And once I did that, I was just like, how stupid I was to go out there with a pry bar and a hammer. Well, in a sense, that's what we're like When we try to live our lives, we don't understand what we're created for or whom we're created by. When we try to live our life apart from relying on God, it's that, in a sense, stupid. When we wake up in the morning and we got all this to do and we don't first go to God in prayer, ask for help and strength, we're being really foolish. And it's easy to see it in First Samuel when it's someone else. And you see Israel or Saul trying to work by their own strength and their own power, and we sit here and go, oh, how foolish. Just pray. And yet, 
I think it's the lesson. It's so easy to agree with it here and yet throughout the week forget. And we don't realize we're struggling by our own strength. So here's how I want to give an overview of 1 Samuel through Hannah's prayer. Uh, we're just going to read through this prayer and uh, reminisce to how her prayer is prophetic to everything that comes afterwards. Uh, so just to remind you, the context of what's going on at this point in time in redemptive history uh, when this took place, Israel is in Canaan. They're in the promised land. Things ought to be going good. Uh, they've been taken out of Egypt. They've now uh, conquered enough enemies to enter the promised land. But the people of Israel, in a sense, are, can be looking at each other saying, is this it? This is the culmination of our salvation. This is what it's supposed to look like. In the account of uh, this time, uh, you can read in the Judges. And if you've ever read through the Judges, it's a, it's a sad time in Israel. This one statement is continually uh, spoken throughout the Judges, and it's the last verse uh, in Judges. Here's what, here's what it is. Judges 21-25. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what is right in his own eyes. In those days, there wasn't a king yet in Israel. And everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. And what we see right at the beginning of 1 Samuel in uh, chapter 3, verse 20, we find out that there hasn't been a prophet. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. The Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So at this point in time in Israel, there doesn't seem to be direction from God. And, and you just get done with the book of Judges, you're going, uh-oh, this doesn't look good. But then, Elkanah, this man who nobody really knows in Israel, he has two wives, Peninnah and Hannah. And you begin to see what's going on with these characters. What is God up to in Israel? And as you know, uh, Peninnah would make fun of Hannah because Hannah couldn't bear children. And she would mock her for not being able to have children. But by the grace of God, the Lord answered Hannah's prayer and gave her Samuel. And, and here's her exaltation as she dedicates him to the Lord. Look at verse 1. And you can see in your notes uh, that it's broken up uh, into three categories. Uh, exalt in God. And then uh, exalt in the God of reversals. Be humbled or be destroyed. Throughout this prayer, it's, 
It's not going to go point one to point two. You're just going to see both of them throughout. And I tried to give you verses and stuff so you can go back and, and see that. But let's look at how we might exalt in God. Look at verse one. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. For Hannah, it was salvation just to have a child. The Lord answered her prayer. This woman who could not bear children and was being mocked by her husband's other wife was able to rejoice in the God who can save. Exalting God because our God is a saving God. How, how do we see this come true throughout 1 Samuel? I'm going to give you two examples. My charge to you is to exalt God in God your Savior. And the opposite of exalting in God your Savior would be to try by your own strength to save yourself, to reject that God. So let me give you an example of the rejection. 1 Samuel 8, starting in verse 4. So right after God has given Israel victory, miraculously through Samuel's prayer on their behalf, the people of God are not satisfied. They come to Samuel, and in verse 4, here's what we read. Then the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. To want a king isn't bad, but to want a king like all the nations is. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. This is the stupidity in action. God has taken us out of Egypt. God has miraculously saved us from the Philistines. But we want a king like the nations. Samuel's torqued. And God says, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. They're trying to figure out salvation on their own like the world would do it. And then you have the opposite example, obviously, in David. Remember in, when David comes onto the scene in 1 Samuel 17 with uh, the famous, probably the most famous story in 1 Samuel, David and Goliath? I wonder if you remember what the main point of that story is. I'm going to remind you. Listen to David's... Why does David jump to action? That's the question. Why does he jump to action? 
And the Philistines, this is 1 Samuel 17.10, the Philistine said, Goliath yells out, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man so that we can fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The Philistine stands up and he says, I defy the God of Israel. Saul hears that. Israelites hear that. Oh, we're so scared. He defies our God. But then in verse 24, all of the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. You hear this word defy. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see, what does David see different? His God is the God of the universe. The living God, the only true God. Shall we tremble when the Philistine denies him, when Goliath uh, tries to defy him? Or should confidence raise up in our hearts? Who's going to get away with defying this God? And then in verse 36, as David's trying to convince a bunch of pragmatists to let him go fight, he says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears and, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. His argument was, I've already killed a lion and I've already killed a bear and God helped me do it. And Goliath is mocking this God. Let me go. Well, we got to put armor on you and we got to get, I mean, if you're going to have any shot at all, now David tries to just let me go. He grabs his stones and, and as he comes to face Goliath. What does he say to him in verse 45? Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I'll give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and He's not a God to be mocked. So exalt in God your Savior. Those aren't just words. David saw his God as a living God who saves. But Israel looked at the nations. They wanted to reject that God. See, it's so stupid when the, Phili when the Israelites do it. 
But we do it every morning we wake up and just start our day and don't realize the need we have. Every time we take a bite of food without a thankful heart, not recognizing it's only by the grace of God we ever get food. We can lose track of our need for God as a Savior. And then, in verse 3, or in, in verse 2, exalt in God, for He is a holy God. Look at this. There is none like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. To be holy means to be cut apart, set apart, totally different from anything else. There's no one like our God. He's holy. He's a rock. You can't compare Him to any other thing. I'll never forget one preacher saying, you know, who's more like God? The, the, the living microbe on your toilet or the greatest archangel in heaven? Which one is more like God? And the preacher said, neither of them. No one or no thing is like our God. He's holy. He's the living God. And we see this, oh, we see God's holiness all throughout 1 Samuel. How about when uh, God told Samuel his first job as a prophet, as a young boy, that I'm going to destroy Eli and his sons because they have not regarded me as holy. Remember what, what uh, God said to Eli? Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings that I've commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above and honor your sons above me by fattening yourself on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Remember what Eli and his sons were doing? His sons were stealing meat that was to be offered up to God, taking the choicest parts so that they could get fat off it. Now, Eli said, oh, you shouldn't do that. Why are you sleeping with the temple women? That's wicked. You shouldn't do that. But Eli's getting fat off the meat. He's not taking care of his sons, taking them out of that position. And so God says, you're all going to die in the same day. You don't mess with the God of 1 Samuel. He's a holy God. And do you remember when the Philistines were about to attack Israel? And they come and they kill a bunch of Israelites and, and then they get a plan. Bring the ark. Let's bring the ark. The ark will save us. Their hope was in the ark, not the God of the ark. So they bring the ark of the covenant and uh, Israel loses the battle. The ark gets stolen. You know, why, Lord, why have you done this to us? The Philistines, oh, let's bring, this is, this is their best God, this ark here, the God of Israel. This is his idol here. Let's take him into Dagon's temple and set it right below Dagon's feet. And you know the story, Dagon 
falls over and his head falls off and his arms get cut off. You see, God is holy. God is the God of Dagon's temple. It's Yahweh's temple. God will be upheld as holy. Or how about when God asked Saul to go kill the Amalekites because of what they did to Israel? Listen to this, 1 Samuel 15.2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I've noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. As the Israelites came out of Egypt and God brought them through the Red Sea, the stragglers that were came from behind, Amalek came and raided them and killed them. But God remembered. And now... Hundreds of years later, God says, it's time to judge Amalek. Saul, here's what you do. Now listen to this. Go strike Amalek and devote the destruction of all that they have. Do not spare them. Kill both man and women and woman and child and infant and ox and sheep and camel and donkey. And we read that and say, geez, this is a little harsh. This is a little harsh. You see... We think that thought because we don't understand the holiness of God. You want Him to kill everyone? It's because we don't believe that one sin against the holy God actually deserves death. Not only to us, but to our children. Our children are born sinful. They're born in sin. And so we... Read this. Man, this is harsh. Well, we forget our God is a holy God. And sin offends Him. The judgment for sin is death. If we want to know how bad sin is, we look at the cross and we see God's most valuable possession, His own Son, dying on a cross because of sin. So we see the holiness when Saul doesn't kill, you know, he Saul keeps the best parts of their possessions and he keeps the best animals alive and he keeps Agag the king alive and he sees Samuel coming. You remember? He's like, hey, what's up? Bless you, Samuel. Bless, bless you. Hope you're having a good day. I, I've done what you've asked me to do. And Samuel says, then why do I hear the bleeding of sheep in my ears? Your kingdom is going to be taken from you. You didn't see God as a holy God. You didn't obey His Word. So God is a holy God. And here, we, verse 3, we begin to see that how we ought to exalt in the God of reversals. We either need to be humbled and be saved, or if we become proud, we'll be destroyed. Look at what verse 3 says. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge. I love that. Don't talk proudly, and don't let arrogance come from your mouth, because God is a God of knowledge. He hears everything you say. 
You can fool people making them think you're great in bringing glory to yourself. All glory should be to God and we steal it as we talk oh so arrogantly and, and proudly. For the Lord is the God of knowledge. By Him actions are weighed. Now look at this. The bows of the mighty shall be broken. Oh, the big dogs going down, the mighty that have the weapons, their weapons are going to be broken. You know, I never understood why I always like rooting for the underdog. Now I know. God is the God who tears down the mighty and lifts up the small. Everybody loves a Cinderella story. The team that was never supposed to do anything. Unless it's they're playing your team. Everyone pretty much is rooting for the underdog usually. The mighty, their bows are broken. Well, do we have any examples of this in 1 Samuel where the mighty's bow was broken essentially? How about Penina? She's mocking Hannah. You can't have children. Ha 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 ha. Doesn't look like it's going to go so good for Penina. How about uh, when Israel brings the ark to fight the Philistines, putting their hope in the ark? Didn't go so good for them as they became arrogant and proud, thinking they could figure out victory on their own. Um. How about the people when they asked for a king like the nations? How well did it work for Saul? How about Goliath? Mm, Goliath fell as well. Doeg. Abner. Remember Abner? He fell asleep when he's supposed to be protecting Saul and David yells out, Abner, basically you dog. You're supposed to be protecting the anointed one of Israel and you're sleeping? We see over and over the proud fall throughout 1 Samuel. Saul is the most clear and, and obvious one. But then, he's, but then we read this at the end of verse 4. But the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread. Those who have all the food all of a sudden are begging. They're hiring themselves out just to eat bread. You just see these reversals. Those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. That means forlorn means sad and lonely. She who has all these children ends up sad and lonely. Who is this God that Hannah is prophesying about that she exalts in? That the low are lifted up and the high are brought low. And then look at verse 6. We need to exalt in the sovereign God because God is sovereign. Look at verse 6. The Lord kills, the Lord brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and He raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. This is God saying, I'm God. 
I raise people up. I tear people down. I'm the one who is the Lord, the sovereign Lord. He raises up the poor from the dust. So here's we see the reversal. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Don't you love that picture? There's, there's a person in the ash heap, the lowest place you could be on earth. But the Lord takes that one and lifts him up and takes him to sit with princes in the seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And on them He set the world. This is Him saying, I'm the Creator of the world. I'm the One that sustains all things. This is Hannah's God. She's a sovereign God. And how often did we see the sovereign providential hand of God work for the good of His people? Over and over and over again. Remember when Saul sent servants to kill David? They come into town, they start prophesying to the Lord. Three times that happens. Saul comes, Saul strips himself naked, takes the kingly clothes he has off, and he begins to prophesy. How, how, how can this happen unless our God is sovereign? Or how about when Saul's about ready to kill David? He's got him trapped on the mountain and then a messenger comes and says, the Philistines are raiding the land and they have to turn around and go. This is the providential, sovereign hand of God. How about when David finds the Saul and uh, Abner in his army and they all go into a deep sleep? Or how about when David's about to kill Nabal in sin and Abigail keeps him from sinning or how about when they've just been raided uh, raided by the the Amalekites and they've stolen their wife their wives and children and they happen to run into an Egyptian servant who's been left uh to die and they're able to figure out where to go to rescue them exalt in the sovereign god of the universe He's a Savior. He's holy. He's sovereign over all your circumstances. The day when you think God has fallen asleep because you can't believe what's happened, that day is still in the hand of God. Nothing is outside of His control. Exalting God for He's your protector. Verse 9, He will guard the feet of His faithful ones. Just from chapter 18 to chapter 30, you just watch God protect David. Twelve chapters in a row. If you're wondering, can God, can God save me? Will, does He really have my back? All you got to do is look at David's God. And you'll see that God is a God who protects but then, look at what it says, but the wicked will be destroyed. This is the second half of verse 9. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. Now, if you can just take one half a sentence out of 1 Samuel, it might be this one. For not by might shall a man prevail. 
when you get up in the morning and you got plans and you think you got energy and you got might, not by might will a man prevail. Not by the wisdom of man will a man prevail. It's interesting because right before that he says, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. Well, what, who are the wicked? For not by might shall a man prevail. The wicked are those who think they can live apart from God. This is Israel. They think they don't need Him. They think they need other gods. They think they can figure it out on their own. Verse 10, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. So here you see the mighty falling again. Against them He will thunder in heaven. We just literally saw this happen in chapter 7. When the Philistines saw that uh, they were gathered at Mizpah, Samuel gathered them basically to chew their butt and tell them how sinful they are. And, and as they gather, here's, here's what we see. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that He may save us from the hand of the Philistines. See, they're trusting in God in this moment. Don't quit praying to God for us. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord of Israel, and the Lord answered him. And I love verse 10. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, he's got a lamb in his hand. The Philistines drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. Against them He thundered in heaven is what Hannah says. You just get this beautiful picture when a lamb, right when that lamb is being sacrificed, a thundering victory that threw the opposition, the Philistines, into confusion. Obviously, when is Satan defeated? On the cross, when the lamb is being slain. And finally, verse 10, and the last point in your notes, exalting God's King revealed in His Word. See, the amazing thing about 1 Samuel is the Word of the Lord was rare in those days, but God miraculously helps Hannah to give birth to Samuel, which is God's kindness saying, here's, God, here's my Word to you. And this is the prophet that will anoint David as king. And it's David's kingdom that will last forever. One of his children will last forever. Exalting God's king revealed in His Word. Here's where we read verse 10. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength and exalt the horn of His anointing. Here's what I want you to feel. Here's the tension I feel in every Old Testament book. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Do we want to say amen to that or not? It's kind of like, 
yeah, he's judge and he's good, so he's going to judge the ends of the earth. But what did he just say in right before this? The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. So I read this and I'm just like, here's my question. The justice of God is a good thing, but who's good? Right? It's good that God is just unless we're not just. And my question is, is is David faithful? Because he'll protect the faithful. Was Samuel faithful? Because he will save the faithful. He'll lift up the faithful. Was David humble? Because he'll lift up the humble. And our answer is, is David seems better than Saul. But we're only to half time in this book. Second Samuel's the rest of it. We've already seen some of David's pride, some of David's sin. We've already seen that Samuel tried to put his sons who were wicked men in leadership to follow him rather than wait for the Lord. So, in verse 10, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He'll give strength to His King and exalt the horn of His anointed. I think in this verse is almost in code language. We're on the other side of the cross so we know the answer to that tension. Because like the verse is Scott read. Listen to this, 1 Samuel 12.19. I want to effectively let you feel the tension. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for the, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to our sins this evil to ask for a, for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. That's a weird statement. Do not be afraid. You've done all this evil. You just confessed to me. But here's what he says then. Yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but you'll serve the, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake His people. Isn't that amazing? He... The promise is in God not forsaking His people for His great namesake because it pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you and I'll instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. So my question for Samuel, are you preaching peace or judgment on me? Don't worry. God's faithful to save His people, but you better not be wicked. Or you're going to get it. Chapter 10, I mean, verse 10, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth, but here's the solution. He'll give strength to His king and exalt the horn of His anointed. What's the good news for sinners? 
when they find out that God is a judge. The good news is this. I could say my own words, but I'm going to read Romans 3 so you hear it straight from the Holy Spirit. Romans 3.21, but now... So my question is, that I want you to feel, is are you good enough? If God knows all things, are you good enough that God will accept you? Verse 21, Romans 3, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So righteousness is this perfect living, this perfect godliness has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. Where are you going to get your righteousness? You need a righteousness that doesn't come from yourself. You need it from a foreign righteousness that can be gifted to you. And this text just said, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus by whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. God puts forward on display His bleeding Son and says, I am just. Propitiation means satisfaction for the wrath of God. In a sense, paying the punishment, absorbing the punishment. Jesus Christ on the cross absorbed the punishment for sins for anyone who will trust in Him. Which is important because God is just. And then then here's what it says. This was to show... I want to read verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He passed over former sins. How's David getting in? David isn't perfect. Yeah, God seemed to pass over David's sin. Gave him all sorts of promises. And Samuel's sin. And every other Old Testament good guy who's better than the bad guys, but they're all bad. If God's a holy God. So at this present time, here's what Paul's saying. God said, you want to know where my justice is? How I passed over sins formally committed? Look at my dying son put forward on that cross. When you look at that cross, you know that I am just and that I punished every sin. But you also can hear peace and that God is a saving, merciful, gracious God because on that cross He's offering all man and woman the gift of righteousness. He paid your sin. His perfect life He lived. He offers you as a gift to be received by faith. And then, here's how this text ends. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He passed over former sins. 
It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 1 Samuel answers the question, points to the answer to the question of the whole Bible. How can sinful people ever be made right to a God who is holy and just? It seems like there's only two options. You're either perfect and you get in, or if you're not perfect, if He's just, you go to hell. But, verse 10 says, in the most beautiful way, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth and He'll give strength to His King and exalt the horn of His anointed. God sends Christ to be the King that was promised to come from David's line whose kingdom will never end. And so I want to leave you with Jesus' words. Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for My yoke is easy and My burden is light. The message I want to leave First Samuel with is to say, wake up in the morning and rest in Christ, in the Lord. Anything else you do on your own is just going to be striving by human effort. Our God is a sovereign God. Our God is a holy God. Our God is a protecting God. And He's a King who destroyed our greatest enemies. Father, I pray that You would help us remember that it's not by might that men prevail, but it's the humble, the needy, the one who recognizes that they can do nothing apart from You. Lord, we know that You raise them up. So God, I pray that You would create faith this morning that people would trust in You. But before You do that, I pray that You would create devastation in a soul so they lose all confidence in and of themselves and their own works so that they actually look to Jesus as a Savior. That they give up hope on their own righteousness and that they'll trust in Your Son by faith. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.